Welcome to Revere Assets, Your Money, with Danny Stewart. You never know how far the stock is going to go down. Tim Razor. Danny knows I'm a geek for all of this stuff. And Don Vandenborg. Telling it like it is. If you're seeking the best stock knowledge this side of Wall Street, you've come to the right place. I'm sorry, did I steal your stuff? No, you didn't steal any thunder. Who's handling this segment? (laughs) For the next hour, Danny, Tim, and Don will be talking investing. Investing is 90% psychological, and I love that. Trades. The market will usually overshoot to the downside and to the upside. And dumpster fires. Because it doesn't matter what you think or what I think, and it matters even less what Danny thinks. And now, here's your hosts... Danny, Tim, and Don. In the famous words of one of our greatest Americans, MLK, I'm free at last. Free at last. Thank God I'm free at last. Actually, it's bittersweet. I'm an empty nester officially. I dropped my daughter off at Baylor the last two days. The the team handled the the week without me. I'm wearing my Baylor Guayavera with the Baylor colors. I'm all ready to go. Um, And to show their respect, the, the, the family picnic before we all left before they say okay we're gonna have a picnic after you everybody moves in everybody gets together we're gonna have a family picnic and then we're gonna kick you out parents you go home and leave your kids here don't make it a big sad cry fest just boogie right the picnic was outside at 5 30 5 30 now Texas. folks yeah i don't know if you know but it's a little bit warm in texas in august <laughs> at 5 30 Especially when we're having a heat wave. <laughs> it, it, it was like 104 degrees out there. Oh my gosh. <laughs> my iPhone was melting. Yeah. Anyway. They wanted you to get out of there we, fast. we found a nice oak tree, moved the table underneath the tree. First, they told us we couldn't. Well, we looked at him, and the guy realized he was going to lose that argument, so he just <laughs> let us move it. Yeah. And, and then my daughter's nowhere to be found. I finally called her and said, Sydney, you're supposed to meet us at her. Her and her... her uh, uh, not roommate, what's it called? Sweet mate. Her sweet mate, they found a table inside. They're eating in the air conditioning in wow. the building. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> didn't even fed it with my daughter. Anyway, yeah. it was very fun. We're, we're finally mama bears uh, doing better. Everything's good. So now we're going to get to the economics and the markets. And I've got a question. Are the deficits simply a myth? We have a myth of the, it's called the deficit myth. Well, that's what these people, these economists, these Keynesian economists who are MMT uh, proponents, if you don't know what MMT is, it stands for Modern Monetary Theory. And it simply means you can print as much money as you want, kind of like Nike, just do it. It's just print it. We could, we could just print, and, and everything will work out. In fact, I've got this article. It's in the show notes. It's the myth of the deficits, and this very acclaimed Dr. Kelton was talking about uh, modern uh, monetary theory and how we could just have the non-accelerating rate of employment, the rate where inflation would not be expected to rise 
uh, we could keep printing. Here's the problem with these people. They're not grounded in reality. And what I mean by that, if it's that simple, why don't we just print and give everybody a million dollars? It won't cause inflation. Just pay me a million dollars. I'll pay off my house, my credit card debt. Hell, we can get rid of all the college debt Biden wanted to. We could just print the money and pay it off. Just pay off everything. Why do we even have any kind of system if we can just print money? Now, what are the American citizens that actually work hard and go to uh, work every day and don't live in the ivory towers? What do they say about that? Well, 90% of uh, uh, Social Security recipients who are about to take Social Security here pretty quickly, 90% are going to take their benefits before 70. You know how you get the maximum benefits if you put it off to 70. You get an 8% bump after you reach full Social Security. For most people, that's about 67, in ch- 67 years old and some, a few months at my age anyway, and uh, 90% claim they're going to take it early. 36% say they need the money. 34% say it's their money, which it's true. They paid into it, just like this show is called Your Money. It's about you, not about them. It's their money, and they want it, meaning they're afraid they're not going to get it if they don't take it now, because once you turn it on, It's very hard to negotiate and take back benefits once you plan for your retirement. However, if they haven't turned it on yet, they can start talking about and manipulating the numbers. So it's a lot easier for people that haven't actually turned on their Social Security. Anyway, 34% they're going to take it now, and 13% were advised by by somebody to take it early. Why is that? A lot of times it's better because the turnaround time may be maybe six or eight or, 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 or fifth, you know, six, eight, 10, 15 years. So you got to calculate what the payback period is so that you can figure out how long the, where the break even is. Anyway, the whole point is the social security recipients, hardworking Americans, they don't buy into that modern uh, monetary theory. And they're concerned about social security being um, solvent when they actually uh, need the money. So both of those articles are in there, by the way. And so you can look at that. And uh, it's not just the uh, Social Security pension that's in jeopardy. A lot of the regular pay, the corporate pensions, even government pensions for government workers have been in trouble because interest rates were so low for so long. And if their, their population of their pension holders is older, say 60% of their population is old, They need about 60% in bonds, and bonds did horrible last year. So these pensions, and they couldn't make enough interest income for the last decade with interest rates being near zero. So I've got just a question, just a fleeting thought. I wonder if the Fed is continuing to raise rates, even though inflation is starting to come down and even looks like it's the slowing in the economy is working. I wonder if they're raising rates high enough to bail the pensions out at the expense of the stock market and the economy. Anyway, just a thought, just a thought. All right. In the show notes, we also have a couple other articles that are very interesting. One talks about the U.S. wealth drop. Another one, only 16% of Californians can afford a home now. That'll put pressure on home prices. 15 technologies that will change the world. You can read those. And then the 2026 tax law sunset changes, folks. 
especially if you're fairly high net worth. You need to get in line. You need to get some uh, estate planning, uh, your documents in, 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 in check, because in January 1st of 2026, the estate exemption, the allowable amount that you're allowed to give your heirs free of estate tax is essentially going to get cut in half. So you can give away cleverly, do something, do some creative estate planning to get those into the kids' hands were inter vivos during their lifetime. So that now you still control it. You still have all the vote. It's just in their name. So it grows, but that's a pretty complicated. And you can also do some stuff in the wills or, or living trust, revocable trust, depending on what it is you're trying to do. Uh, but if you got any questions on that, I don't want to grind the show to a halt. This is primarily about markets. Just call me. I'm well-versed in estate planning and all that kind of stuff. Now, to the mailbag and then Team Revere, because the other article in uh, the show notes were what market, what market cycles mean for investors. And I want to talk about that and talk about do, we, do you have to ride the market cycles or is there a better way to go? Now, very quickly, this is uh, the, the one, this is an important one. And this is, I received this on 8-11. And this is actually from a listener and a client. Uh, Dan, uh, mail from Schwab that my TD account at Revere is moving to Schwab on 9-5. Do you need these new account numbers or um, will you get this as part of the move to Schwab? How will this affect your order flow and trading? Thanks, KJ. I told him no. We've already seen these. They have already been created so we can cross-reference first to ensure there are no missing accounts before the merger. Then over Labor Day weekend, they will transfer the balances, positions, etc. Thus far, it's going fairly smoothly, with the exception of a few minor glitches, all in trading, which drives Don's nuts. Schwab is starting to, has stated they are keeping think pipes. That's for advisors. That's like think or swim, but on steroids. It says, and think or swim retail. So we will see how smoothly they still, they, they, they are after the merge. Uh, but Don has an immaculate spreadsheet. We do all the calculations for trading uh, on the spreadsheet anyway. It is faster than their platforms, including ThinkPipes, uh, to calculate shares. And then we put both the totals at each respective custodian's, uh, our, our block trading Revere account, and then put the total. Then on their respective platforms, we allocate the trades according to the clients pro rata at our leisure, even after the close, if we're busy. And so people can't bird dog us. But uh, we use their platform to allocate, which isn't timely and then doesn't affect us uh, much. Uh, we also have numerous other real-time charting platforms that we use outside of Schwab or TD. Folks, most of our uh, research platforms are not uh, Schwab and TD. Well, a lot of them are. We use uh, ThinkPipes and Thinkorswim, but we don't use uh, the other ones, uh, Schwab, too much. I'm sure there are many advisors who rely on the custodians' platforms, especially TD, that are quite nervous now because if things don't go as planned, they could be screwed. Now, you were, now this client actually used to work at Fidelity. You were a tech guy who actually worked for Fidelity for years, so you know anything can happen when programming, especially merging system. So I won't attest that everything will go smoothly, but everything I've seen thus far, um, I'm impressed. Don, not so much. KJ's answer. Uh, that's fine. Uh, 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 thank, thank you for the background. Uh, but operational discipline can't be taught. It's uh, long hours and fixing problems at night. 
I will be doing special backups for my cost basis. Folks, if you're concerned, you could easily go to Schwab or TD and do a cost basis backup. It's not so much at Schwab if you're already there. It's really for the accounts at TD that are going to Schwab. You can very easily just download into an Excel spreadsheet your cost basis if you're worried. Um, in any event, uh, we are all aware, folks. Rest assured, if you're if you're uh, if you're a client, we've got we're we're following it. We're we're monitoring everything. We already know what your account numbers are going to be at Schwab. There's zero balance now. The transfer hasn't taken place, uh, but it will fairly quickly. All right. Now, down to the red meat. We got all these stock nerds going, shut up, Dan. Just give us the red meat. Give Don and the team. All right. So I, I came up with, the, I found this article that says what market cycles mean for our clients. And it starts talking about, you know, we've seen a lot of this stuff. Y2K scare, 9-11, the dot-com crash, global recession, 2008, COVID pandemic. Basically, it's saying the market you know, always comes back. You just don't know when. Now, but here is the one uh, paragraph that caught my eye because it does give us a little hope because we've had a, a fairly strong pullback just now. But he said, um, arguably the most noteworthy headline from the reference chart, 1979 Business Week declaration, the death of equities, how inflation is destroying the stock market. We just kind of went through that. And then it went on to say, from there, the S&P, the Federal Reserve raised rates high enough to kill inflation. And that actually led to one of the longest, actually the longest, I believe, bull markets in the history of the stock market. The, all through the 80s and 90s, you had the crash of 87 very quick. It was back even by the end of the year. Um, so that could count as a break. I mean, that is a break, technically. But if you look at a chart from 1981 to 2000, you had a very long run, and that's actually a killed inflation. So we, a few weeks ago, it looked like we were coming out. I mean, it looks like we had continuation of, the, of a new bull primary uptrend. Now, we've had a strong pullback this last week. What does that mean? Well, we're going to go to Don and see what his thoughts are. So, Don, with that, take it away. Thanks, Dan. Uh, Zach, if you can bring up the chart, there we go. So, uh, if you if you are a uh, consistent listener, you've been uh, staying in sync with what we've been reporting about the deterioration of the market over the last two and a half weeks. Uh, finally, caught up to leading stocks. Uh, the index is breaking key levels. You know that we use the green line here. That's our 21-day exponential moving average as our uh, short-term health indicator. And we spent uh, over 40 days above the 21, and that's just a long time. So we had been on the lookout uh, for some sort of a correction. Now, you never know when the market pulls back. First of all, you never know when it's going to start. And secondly, you never know when it's going to end. They don't ring a bell either at the top or at the bottom. Uh, but this week has been, uh, let me flip to a weekly chart here, and it's been uh, one of the more severe uh, sell-offs in the market from a uh, consecutive day pullback standpoint, being oversold and just getting more and more oversold. Uh, but uh, Last night, uh, I updated some numbers in the tail of the tape. 
Uh, let me bring that in very quickly. Uh, down here below the current level that we closed at yesterday is a big cluster of support. And it's about uh, three quarters of a percent wide. It goes from 42.96 to 43.28. And let me just mention what all these reference points are. First of all, uh, let me turn my drawing tool on here. And this level right here, we paused uh, in the most recent uptrend right around 4,300. Just below that level is the 100-day moving average, which is at 4,296. So this is the lowest level. Uh, let's let's say the the bottom uh, spot. And this is this is raised about two to three points a day. So next week this will actually be in this entire range that we're talking about. So right now we've got 4,296. Right there we've got 4,300. Uh, the bear market. If you measure from here all the way down to here, a common Fibonacci retracement level, which is a technical level, is at 43.12. Let's go back to the daily. It's kind of where we paused on the way up here when we pulled back here at this level back in um, June 24th. We pulled back right above that level at 43.28. So we've got, let's go back to line drawing. We've got 4296 uh, there. We've got 4300 there. We've got 4312 on the Fibonacci level. We've got 4328 on this most recent pullback level. Uh, three ATR from the 21 day moving average is also 4328. So there's a a, a very strong area level of support that the market is coming back into and we're extremely oversold. Let me clear this. You can tell uh, you can tell by the candle or the bar that we're looking at today uh, that we're um, let's go to a five minute chart here and you can see we gapped down. When we've had three really big days down, and this gap down right now is looking like an exhaustion gap down as of 11:54 a.m. Eastern Time on Friday. Uh, when you there's something there's a pattern called uh, a morning star pattern, and it's a reversal pattern. And this is the first candle, the second candle that you want to observe, and its low was right above this big support area of 4296 to 4328 right now the low of today was 4335 we gapped down at the open we put the low in within the first five minutes and we've been working our way higher uh, since then so it's it's possible there are no guarantees in the market but we're extremely stretched to the downside uh, all of the oscillators the stochastics uh, the RG8 is oversold, the NASI McClellan summation index. Uh, let me bring that in really quickly. The secondary indicator that we quote uh, every night uh, in the video. This has reached oversold. What we look for now is for it to basically sink down and then hook back up. This is one of the secondary indicators.
Kate had us increasing our uh, dentist because it's just a, a pretty well indicator. Uh, so it's quite possible that today with the shape that the market is taking right now that we may have put in at least a short-term bottom here. So the next thing we would want to see is uh, us to start to go sideways so that we can get a pattern that looks more like uh, this level here where you start going sideways. You stop going down, you start, you start going sideways. You can see this was a sell-off here. We put in a bottom. We started working up. Uh, the right side. Here's another one where you just stop going down, you go sideways for a while before you turn back to the upside. So we want to see uh, a little bit of sideways action. And then we revert to the typical O'Neill uh, follow through day, which is from the fourth to seventh day off the bottom. Today would be day one. Look for the fourth to seventh day, and we look for something called a follow through day where one, the major indexes. The S&P or the NASDAQ would be up 1.2% or more uh, on big volume. And that should be accompanied by some of the recently leading stocks either bouncing at their 50-day moving average or their 21-day moving average or starting to come up the right side of their cups with hand of their uh, cup bases or their flat bases. And at the same time, uh, maybe the best of the best would have already formed a base and would be breaking out. Uh, we keep our 2121 list updated. Uh, we updated it as of Monday. There are probably a third of it are going to come off the 2121 list right now. But that's all right because strength is is uh, made apparent in the pullback. It's the stocks that hold up are going to be the ones that we're we're, we're going to be wanting to observe to see how they act going forward. So let me summarize very quickly. We're oversold. When you're oversold, you'd look for a, a, some sort of a catalyst or a trigger uh, to, number one, stop going down. If that happened today, it would have happened at a logical area because right below here is a big uh, three-quarter percent, 0.75 percent area of support between 42.96 and 43.28. We bottomed right above that today and bounced off it as of right now. So then we'll work off the oversold condition. We'll look for uh, the indexes to start going sideways or work their way higher. Uh, we'll see if we get back through above half of the uh, bar for Friday, that completes this Morningstar pattern that I talked about, which is it's a three candle or a three day uh, pattern. First of all, the first condition is you're going lower at a rapid rate. We got that. Uh, you see uh, what's called kind of a shakeout, and that's what, or a, a bottom. In other words, it gets out the last of the sellers, and that's what happens on the second day. And the third day, which would be Monday, if you get halfway through the bar of the prior day, that confirms uh, the morning star pattern, and stops then go to the low of the middle candle. Uh, so that's something that we're looking for also. So signs point to a very strong uh, short-term possibility that if we didn't put in the low today, that we would at least over the next 0.75% uh, to the downside or that 42.96 area to 43.28 level where there's a huge confluence of support from uh, prior, from the left side of the chart going all the way back to uh, the bear market of COVID, key, a key uh, Fibonacci level, this 4325 level, 
4312 and 4328. So uh, we we talked about this internally as a team uh, yesterday, drew all the lines, updated the uh, tail of the tape with those levels last night and this morning, uh, and we're getting the behavior that we want. In fact, the S&P just turned positive uh, as of noon on Friday. So uh, we first of all, you need things to stop going down. And uh, if today's lows hold, they've stopped going down. This should be the, the lowest low if we go down a little bit further. Uh, like I said, a huge area of support right below this level. Uh, and then the next thing we look for is day four through seven is a follow through day using the O'Neill rules. And then we get that, we look at what stocks have held up the best, what are showing relative strength. Uh, and that's where we focus the portfolio going forward. Okay, so uh, so uh, just to rephrase, because I'm, I'm on the call, so I, got, got, I have a little bit of insider information on what he's talking about, but there's a whole bunch of confluence of different technical indicators. What was 100-day moving average of Fibonacci? There's overlaps of three or four technical indicators. And a lot of the algorithms and the big uh, funds will watch one or more of those, and that's where you'll start getting buying support by the algos. That's what Don's talking about. And so it looks like the probabilities for the sh for a short-term bounce are pretty high because we are so oversold and we're also hitting some support levels on three or four different indicators. Now, that's what we think. Well, that's what the probability suggest is the highest probability outcome. But what if it doesn't, Don? So what if that doesn't happen and it turns around and breaks? Uh, well, I just, uh, that the, uh, those multiple support areas right below today's low should provide additional support. And if it doesn't, it's quite possible that we go sideways and then start testing those levels and then we break lower. We've reduced our portfolio down to what our rules are for when we're below the 50-day moving average to and above the 100-day uh, moving averages, we have a target ceiling of our beta of 1.0%. We're right now at 0.77%. So uh, if things go lower, uh, we'll just reduce our exposure. Right now, we're not in a, we're not certainly. Not, not in panic mode, but you're. Yeah. Chase, not panic. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, it'll be, it'll be measured according to the rules. We'll discuss those rules and what we're doing uh, in the videos every night, like well, we continue to do. But remember, the market never gets into serious trouble. This is a five and a half percent pullback. This is, it feels painful because of how long, how strong we were during June and July. Basically what right. we've done is given right. back July's gains in August, but a five and a half percent pullback off the top in the S&P is just a completely normal pullback. It's a mild, uh, mild correction. That's the level that we are right now. But the, the correction has hit growth stocks harder because of this chart right here. The TYX long-term bonds have shot up over the last couple of weeks. Uh, when interest rates are going higher, that hits growth names because typically they've got a substantial amount of debt to finance their growth. And that's, uh, that's the price. And that's the, yeah. Yeah, that yeah. that's no that's the well the yield the yield Yield's has gone, gone higher you got to yeah, pay more yeah. you have to pay more in interest you don't have money right uh, it also slow, tends to slow down the economy and um gr companies that are growing tend to pull in their reins a little bit so 
you know, there's a there's multiple reasons why uh, growth stocks have been underperforming. So, and the Nasdaq 100, which was by far the leading in index, everybody was saying, oh, these big seven stocks, all the gains this year. Well, most of the losses, or fa in fact, all of the losses for July or for August are basically you can point to those same big seven stocks and it's something i've said on the video a couple times three things certain in life are death taxes and reversion to the mean in the stock market you you <laughs> can get stretched to the upside stretched to the downside but eventually uh that rubber band pulls back to the the to a normalized state and um that's what we're seeing right now and it's it's we stopped going down at least today at a very logical uh level based on a, a bunch of support areas right below uh, this level that should provide. It's like, you know, if you jump on a, a quarter inch board, you can break it very easy. If you jump on a board that's two inches thick, you, you can't break it. And we've just got multiple support levels below here, multiple technical support levels that should at least cushion or stop the descent that we've been seeing over this last week, which has been pretty severe. Uh, based on re recent market activity, but it's a logical spot for a bottom to be put in. Uh, and then the next part of our process takes over, which is, okay, we stop going down. Now, what has held up the best? What sectors uh, are showing relative strength? What stocks within those sectors are showing relative strength? And we go to that pond and fish in there uh, for outperformance. Yeah, and I, and I just wanted to point out, I just wanted the listeners to understand it's not a pie chart. It's not asset allocation where we're just setting it, forgetting it. We're going with the probabilities. It looks like it's going to bounce here. But if it doesn't, there's still a plan to continue to peel off a little bit of beta, a little bit of aggressiveness, and sell some stuff more to cash in the portfolios. If selling were to continue and accelerate and those levels of support didn't hold. So we're not married to our thesis and we're not forecasting year out. We're measuring what is happening while it's happening and make adjustments accordingly. And we're dialing up and down the beta on an ongoing basis based on whether the market is trending higher or lower and what the strength of that trend is. All right, Don. Yeah, there are, there are no certainties in the market. There are, you know, and we don't predict, but there are there are scenarios and probabilities and expectations. And our expectations are always based on what the market is doing. And we have a lot of experience with what the market has done in the past. You know, they say the past doesn't always repeat, but it rhymes. Certain patterns show up in the market all the time. Uh, sector rotation shows up all the time. Uh, and we're just, you know, placing the probabilities on, on what, uh, what our expectations should be based on what we've seen in the past. Sure. Um, and, you know, this looks like a logical area to stop going down because of the quick descent that we've seen uh, over the last week. Okay. All right. Well, let's see what the boys brought to the table today. All right. Let's go to, uh, let's head out to the guy that puts the fun and fundamentals Michael Ramos out in uh, Los Angeles, California. Michael Ramos, 90210. It's not 90210, though, is it, Mike? 90212, just uh, around the corner. 90212. Didn't right. quite make it. Take it away, yeah. Mike. Rent <laughs> uh, was a little cheaper um, in the 90212. So are you in East but, uh, Hollywood? Are you in East Hollywood, or is that, where is that? 
No, I'm actually, I, I'm in, um, it's called, so there's the, the hills of Beverly Hills, which are the, um, right. like the, the biggest states with the nice views. And then you've got the flats, which are also the, the really big houses. And all of that is, um, there's this street that kind of divides everything. It's called Santa Monica Boulevard. Right. And, um, like sort of, you got Santa Monica and Wilshire and everything north of that is the $20 million homes, the, the ultra right elite. And then below that is, um, is more regular middle, well, upper middle class. Um, and then you've got apartments and, and those kinds of things. And, sure. and I live in an apartment south of those streets. Well, uh, we're, we're going to change I'm that, actually, Michael, over the next 20 years. We're going to get you in that $20 million yeah, home up goal, in the hills, yeah. baby. That's the goal. Um, but, yeah, I'm actually down the street from the from the high school. The Beverly Hills High School, the famous one, is in 90212. It's not 90210. So that's uh, – um, yeah. They cheated. Um, they did, yeah. <laughs> they, they used the wrong zip code for the show. But um, – yeah, so today I want to talk about um, putting the fun and fundamentals, um, an interesting opportunity, um, name that, that came across. Um, the ticker is CEIX, uh, Console Energy. And I'll start off with what they do, and then I'll present the, um, the investment thesis. But uh, basically, they're a coal miner in the Appalachian Basin. Their mines stretch from Virginia to Pennsylvania. And their most significant assets are the PAMC, which stands for Pennsylvania Mining Complex, and the Console Marine Terminal. And most of their revenue currently comes from exporting metallurgical coal, which is coal used for steel making, to a lot of it goes to Europe, but um, all over the world. And their second largest source of revenue is from domestic power plants. And that's currently because as the demand changes, their their mix changes. So at the moment, they're getting better better profits exporting. So they export more, but if the prices go up domestically, then they can change that that composition and and sell more domestically. So they've got a pretty flexible model. And now uh, getting into the numbers. So free cash flow is. The most important thing that you want to look for in an investment, that's how you, the, the models that analysts use, it's called the discounted cash flow model. And for that, they use cash flows to come up with the present value of all of those future cash flows. So quarterly free cash flow for CEIX was $180.8 million in the most recent quarter. And with that money, they repurchased 3.1 million shares on a year-to-date basis which is about 9% of their entire public float. So 9% of their entire market cap, they repurchased uh, in the first six months of the year. The company has announced a plan to return value to shareholders through repurchases rather than dividends. So you'll continue to see more of those buybacks as they, they continue to profit. And in Q2, they allocated 70% of free cash flow towards share repurchases. So that's a pretty aggressive, one of the most aggressive share repurchase plans I've seen. And what's good about this company, so a lot of, a lot of uh, these, these coal companies and natural resource companies, the reason why they don't tend to perform extremely well is because they've got management that isn't very shareholder friendly. And they also have a lot of fixed costs and a lot of capital expenditures that they're not really able to 
come up with this plan to, to return capital to shareholders like that because they have a lot of debt and there's certain covenants in their debt, like BTU, for example, where they're restricted from returning and doing purchases or dividends until they paid back most of that debt. So this is a rare example where you've got a company that has paid down most of their debt and they've got management that is friendly to shareholders. So that, that's a great combination as well. And then, yeah, in terms of their debt year to date, they repaid $153 million and currently have a net cash position, which means when you subtract their, their debt from their current cash on the balance sheet of $61.9 million. So now in terms of the guidance and their outlook and the investment thesis on top of what I mentioned, for the rest of the year, they're targeting their, their Pennsylvania uh, complex coal sales volume of between 25 and 27 million tons, and they're fully contracted for the rest of the year. At the moment, they've got 17.6 million tons contracted for 2024. So long story short, they have pretty good visibility for the next few years. And despite softening coal markets, if you look at the price of coal, it's actually come down year to date and compared to last year, it's down, they were actually able to increase their prices due to their multi-front strategy of those domestic sales and exports. So this year they focused more on exports, realizing a higher, higher price and higher revenues. So with that said, currently they have a PE of three. So what that means is that if things continue as they have, they will earn their entire market cap in three years. And they don't have a lot of debt to pay down. They're returning all of that money to shareholders. So 70% of those profits are gonna go directly to shareholders. Now, the issue, so in three years, they earn their entire market cap. The terminal value, you can calculate and see what you expect the rest of the business to be worth uh, in for the future, but there are certain risks and the risks that are involved with that would be if the price of coal comes down, if something happens to their plant, the railroads they use, if there's an earthquake, there, there's a, a, a million risks and, and things that you do need to be aware about. This isn't a, a guaranteed thing by any stretch of the imagination. And I'm not saying to go out tomorrow and mortgage your house and buy shares, but this is an interesting opportunity based on the cash flows they have the earnings power, the visibility for the next few years, and a shareholder-friendly management. So that, that's a recipe I've seen. It's very rare to find something this cheap from a price-to-earnings standpoint where those earnings are expected to continue and they have visibility, very low amounts of debt. Um, so it is, it is a good recipe. So that, that's... That's what I'll, I'll say about CIX uh, disclaimer. I do have a position. I, I'm, I'm bullish, but I, as I said, anything can happen and, and you should definitely be aware of the, the risks involved. Well, well I, could, I could tell you, though, the demand for coal is going to be really strong going forward because we got to drive all those electric cars. So, <laughs> yeah, you, you got to burn coal to, to make the electricity to plug your car in. So, uh, but that is, but bottom line, that is pretty cheap. You get all your money back in three years. 
And then the t basically what he's saying, the terminal value means if you just liquidated and had a garage sale, what could you sell all the assets for? So you could get your initial investment back in three years based on the cash flow, and then there's still value. And so if you're a value investor, if you're looking for cheap stocks value-wise, this would be, uh, could be a very potential good play. All right, Don, what you got next? Excellent, Mike. I also want to point out some technical things on this. While this did have a very nice run in uh, 21 and 22, while the market uh, certainly in 22 was pulling back for multiple date uh, bases, this most recent base undercut the prior bases, which makes this from the O'Neill uh, base count rules, a stage one base. Uh, stage one bases are the most uh, historically, statistically, the most successful bases uh, to buy. It's when you buy uh, out of a third or a fourth stage base, which was happening in uh, 2022, that those breakouts are uh, much less likely to yield fruit. But this most recent base, almost a very textbook depth of 37%, and it undercut the two prior bases. So resetting the base count to one, and uh, we'd love to see that if you're looking for base breakouts. Now this has uh, broken out of the uh, first base and hit the pivot plus 20% level, but it did it in three weeks or less, which this makes this a power from the pivot story. Uh, so historically, O'Neill would look for those special uh, bases that would make their 20% move within three weeks or less and uh, focus on them holding those for possibly a longer, uh, bigger move higher, as opposed to something that took three months to get uh, to its pivot plus 20%, where he was more likely to just lock those profits in and reallocate that capital to something else. So. Uh, a lot of good technical things going on. Uh, so Don, CEIX. Don, very quick, also. very quick. So if you had that big move, the 20% move off the pivot within that first week or two, so it was a very strong move. You're saying that Bill O'Neill would give that stock a little bit more leash and a little more room to run. Yes, he would, he would uh, give it the chance to be a big winner. Uh, and what you're seeing after this broke out of the base uh, is it ran up, pulled back, held the base perfectly on the pullback. Then they announced earnings, and that's when Wall Street said, hey, uh, this is really uh, quite a spectacular earnings report and forward look, and it was up on over double average volume, up 9.5% on its earnings report. And you can see what it did then, uh, pulled back to the 80 level and uh, has gone up this week it's it's positive while the market has been you know coming apart at the seams so uh the story seems to be catching on if you note these note the bars the size of the bars down here these big blue bars that in, indicates uh professional buying on above average volume uh so accumulation very clearly going on if you look at the composite rating over here it's got the highest possible composite rating of a 99 uh just good stuff from a fundamental and a technical perspective. And those are the those are the ones that we look for. Uh, I'm looking for an entry in this in Grotection, but we can't make it a an above average position size because 
uh, its daily dollar market vo volume is uh, near that 50 million level. We prefer it to be over 100 million. So we're looking for an entry point on this based on the story and the technicals, but it won't be one of our larger positions. Okay. Thanks, Mike. Uh, let's move on to Connor. Connor, what do you got for us this week? Sweet. Yeah. So today I wanted to talk about relative strength. Um, and how to spot it and something that I think is very timely right now, especially with the market pulling back. So one thing is when the markets, the indexes are correcting, you're seeing leaders break key averages, um, 10, 15, 20% off highs. The market is likely telling you that new leaders are going to emerge uh, and they're probably not going to be the names you've been tracking. SMCI is a, a perfect example. This was the true market leader. And after that earnings bombshell, it's completely violated um, many technical signals. So that thing would need a couple more weeks to base and just to make the chart look better, it would take a while. So while the market's been correcting, I think it's important to scan for stock showing relative strength. So I wanted to go over two scans that I do along with um, a list of names that I think are holding up. So the first scan I like to do is just relative strength line, new highs. When the markets are down one, one and a half percent, I wanna be looking at the stocks that are showing the most RS and that can be displayed when, they're sh when the RS line is making a new high. Um, that just shows you the stock is outperforming the market on a relative basis and it can give you good insights into what stocks are strong, along with maybe our uh, new industry groups emerging and, and new themes. And that certainly was the case for the home builder theme this year. Um, all those stocks were showing um, tons of RS and they were breaking out while the market was weak. And as we've seen, they've been one of the strongest groups all year. And then another thing is just going through your leaders list and seeing how much it's corrected versus the index. So, and also how's it holding up relative to, to key moving averages is another good gauge to see if it's showing RS. So a few examples that I've noticed that are sticking out. Yeah, Don's typing it in, VRT. And a good example I like to think is that um, leaders stick out like a sore thumb during these periods. It's like trying to hold a beach ball underwater sooner or later when the market turns around these should fly up to the surf surface so yeah vrt is the main one that's been shown rs this whole correction the rs line's been breaking out into new highs after that positive earnings report and price has been moving sideways but it's still above the the most short-term moving average the aema and that just displays how strong the stock is and it's got great earnings growth and sales growth and it's uh relatively young name, which is good to see. Oh, that's the 21. Yeah. So yeah, it undercut the EMA, but it's reclaimed it today, which just really displays how strong the stock is. Next one, Don, if you pull up LLY, this is Eli Lilly. This certainly has the N in CanSlim um, and it gapped up on earnings on huge volume. And look how it's just, uh, went higher. It's still above the eight. It's still above the 21 EMA. And that just shows how strong this stock is. And it's not a guarantee, but it makes you wonder if the indexes bounce, you would expect 
um, these stocks to, to explode higher. Another one is Celsius. This is another one that it gapped up on its previous earnings report and kind of went sideways while the market was strong, but it did a similar thing this time. They gapped up on earnings and a good thing to watch is if this stock is going to do what it did uh, last time on earnings, just kind of go sideways, or is this earnings going to really propel it higher again? And so far, price action is very positive. It gapped up on huge volume, huge earnings growth, and it reclaimed the AEMA today showing RS. So that's just wanted to bring up a few stocks that I think are showing RS, and it should be interesting moving forward to see how these react if the indexes can bounce. Because more oftentimes than not, the stock showing RS in a weak market should be the strongest if the indexes start to bounce back. So that's all I got today. Excellent. And all three of those are, we're in my 21 over 21 list from last week. And all three of those very obviously survived the cut for this week. Uh, anything that you that is above an 8 EMA today on Friday after what the market has done this week is, is ex exhibiting extreme leadership and certainly should be uh, at the top of the list for addition to a portfolio if the market writes itself. And those are uh, three primo names that we're, we'll, we'll be looking at. Thanks much, Connor. Let's take it to uh, Teddy 10 charts now. Teddy 10 charts. Over, Teddy 10 <laughs> charts. He's going to go over uh, the breadth and a few other and a few sentiment indicators. Take it away, Ted. All right. So since last time um, I discussed breadth, it was about two weeks ago. We definitely have some significant changes. So let's, let's go through these 10 charts. This first one is the S&P 500 weekly chart. Um, above it, we have, again, that S&P 500 advanced decline line and then the New York Stock Exchange advanced decline line. I drew some upper trend lines we, um, on both the charts. And as you can see, for the S&P 500 one, we broke below it. So that's definitely a change in character of this particular trend. The New York Stock Exchange, we're, we're just holding it right now. So this is definitely something to note. Um, and this kind of just gives the underlying picture of what, what stocks are doing um, underneath the price action. So the next one is the NASDAQ. Um, this one, since it's a lot more tech heavy, the action is definitely more like definitely more ominous than the S and P 500 and look at the advanced decline line, like this entire year, it, like the advanced decline line has been in a downtrend while the price has been moving up. So that negative divergence just almost was a canary in the coal mine indicating that maybe the markets, have been running too far ahead and that we needed to pull back, which, which we are getting now. The next two couple of charts are the net highs and lows. I changed up the settings a little bit because I was watching something this, this weekend and it's nice to kind of break apart the net highs and lows, which is the lowest chart and kind of show that, show the individual new highs versus new lows, which is that middle chart. So as you can see, we, slightly dipped into net low territory, but um, most of it is just caused by new highs coming down, not necessarily new lows. And so Don, if you can kind of like point left a little bit during that bear market, not only did we have new highs diminish, we had an expansion, significant expansion of new lows. And we aren't getting that yet, which means that this pullback could just be like a mild correction 
Um, but again, we don't predict. We will just take the action as it comes. The next one that's part of this is the NASDAQ with its net highs and lows and the new highs versus new lows. This one, like the advanced decline line, is definitely a more negative picture. We're dipping further and expanding further into net low territory. And on this one, new highs did diminish. But what we don't want to see, which we kind of are starting to see, is that new lows are expanding as well. So we want, so like, this is not the, not the greatest start, but it's definitely, definitely not over yet. The next couple of charts will be the New York Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ, McKellen Summation Index. Um, we are in oversold territory now, so that definitely shows the sentiment of the current markets. Don showed the NASDAQ, I'm pretty sure, earlier, which will be next. Um, so we kind of already talked about this, but we pretty much went from the penthouse to the outhouse in, in two to three, in pretty much two weeks. So that just shows how quickly the market can change and that we always have to be ready for the opposite side of the trade. But now we are both, like both these RSIs are in deeply oversold territory. We definitely could be pegged down here for longer, just like the, just like the times on the left. But this just tells us that um, we could find support at those key levels that Don noted before. Um, the next couple of charts are the percentage of stocks above various key moving averages. The first one, again, is the S&P 500 weekly chart with, with its corresponding 50-day, 150-day, and 200-day indicators. And I also, like the advanced decline line, drew upper trend lines. And that 50-day, like, I think it was a few weeks ago, I noted that we were getting into overbought territory on the 50-day moving average. And the, sorry, percentage of stocks above the 50-day moving average. And you can see that come down and break that upper trend line. And that, that, that break, I'm pretty sure corresponded the end of July, beginning of August time period, which is pretty much near the beginning of this recent correction. So this is definitely another secondary indicator that you can use to help support your price and volume analysis. The 150, the percentage of stocks above the 150 day and 250 day, sorry, 200 day are sitting right on that upper trend line for the S&P 500. So now Don has a NASDAQ and the theme pretty much stays constant here that the, the picture is definitely more negative than S&P 500 because it's tech centric. Look at that, the percentage of stocks above the 50 day pretty much was trending up nicely and completely just fell off a cliff. Um, and the other two as well broke the upper trend lines too. So we definitely want to see that find some stabilization as well as the price action of the NASDAQ. We do have those August highs August 2022 highs that Don talked about, which we could find support there, which coincides with other moving averages and other indicators that we watch. So we'll just have to take it as it comes. Um, the future is inherently unknown. So, and finally, I'm going to talk briefly about sentiment. Two weeks ago, we were, we were in extreme greed territory, and now all of a sudden we're, we're in fear. So um, this definitely going to go much further lower. And honestly, we we at Revere kind of invite that because we want to see price action hold up while more and more people get scared because we like to, we like to participate in trends where um, it climbs a wall of worry. We don't want everyone in with us at once. And finally, we have the AAII sentiment. Just like the CNN fear and greed, we were well above historical averages and now we're, we're below. So just shows how quickly sentiment can change based off price. Um, 
bearish readings are almost above historical averages. And we, we would like to see this definitely spike a little bit to, um, to see if we can like derive a contrarian indicator here. And so finally, I, a good quote to keep in mind is that when times are bad, know that there are good times ahead. And when, when times are good, just know there's bad times ahead. Um, and kind of, that's a pretty good mental model just, just to keep in your head to be ready for the opposite side of the trade. All right, Ted. And as uh, one of the Wall Street sayings goes, there's nothing like price to change sentiment. So you can see <laughs> the bullishness, the excessive bullishness of the past uh, prior two weeks completely disappearing with the readings for this week. Thanks much, Dan. Uh, to bottom line it for the week before you uh, wrap up the show is uh, we're looking for today's low uh, as a possible inflection point. If not, we have a uh, very large amount of support in a three quarter percent range right below here starting with basically, let's say 4,300, which is where the 100 day moving average will be early next week and seven points below today's low. So the key level we wanna hold on any additional pullback would be that 4,300 level. And as I kind of the, uh, the comparison I made is that uh, when you have a quarter inch board, you can jump on it and break it. But when you have multiple levels of support all lining up, the board gets thicker and it makes it more difficult to break through. And that's uh, that's the thesis we're operating under right now. Uh, of course, our thesis always needs price verification. So that's what we'll be looking for. Trust, but verify, right? Trust, but verify. <laughs> trust, right. trust, but ver we don't trust anything. We verify everything. All right, folks, listen. Right. If And by the way, so what Don's saying is so far we're rest we're right at support we'll see if that holds if it holds we'll be getting more and starts resuming the uptrend we'll get more long if it doesn't hold we'll be getting more defensive um and and like he said it was uh the s&p was positive just a few minutes ago doing the show right now it's down 0.09 so it's almost flat, just slightly red on the ES. It's 1134 Central Time. Folks, listen, if you like what you heard, please tell a friend, tell a neighbor. Just send them to revereasset.com. Up in the right-hand corner, there's a subscribe button. Just hit the subscribe button. You can put your email address, your name in. We won't spam them or reach out to uh, them in any way. It's us uh, up to them to reach out to us. And next to the subscribe button, there's a contact us button. You can contact uh, hit that. It sends us an email, sends me an email directly, and you can uh, put in a, a stock you'd like us to discuss on the sh show, a topic, or just if you want a complimentary portfolio view. And speaking of discussing stocks on the show, folks, do your own research, get your own advice. This show is for educational entertainment purposes, and it's to give you some ideas for research. If you want specific investment advice, reach out to me or Don, or reach out to your own advisor. You can email any of us at dan at revereasset.com, don at revereasset.com, michael, ted, or connor at revereasset.com and you can always call us old school at 855 real wealth go bears we'll talk to you next week on your money 
Because it's not how much you make in the markets, it's how much of that you can keep. Your Money Radio podcast covers general topics and investment ideas for research. It is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be investment advice. If you want or need investment advice, contact your own advisors or reach out to Revere Asset Management for individual investment advice. For more information, just go to revereasset.com.